imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. With your host, Kevin Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It's a scientific fact. That we are all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only... Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal, yes. And welcome to it. Welcome to another stay-at-home edition of Protonic Reversal. Today's going to be Mr. Alan Epley of Shiner, Life and Times, Blue Man Group, 30-year scratch. Talented fella. We've been going back and forth for a while now, so... Eager to share this episode with you. Should be a good time. Once again, if you haven't already, patreon.com slash Reversal. If you want the shows quicker, dollar a month will get you there. $12 for the year. It's basically like a record. Yeah, think about it that way. You don't have to sign up for that to get the episodes. Subscribing to the free feeds always good. If you do share the show around, that's always appreciated. <clears throat> I hate the culture of like and subscribe, but fact of the matter is that stuff matters in this algorithmic world of ours for getting out in front of people. But what matters more is if you hear an episode you like and you want to share it around, that's lovely. And uh, that's always appreciated and awesome, and we thank you for it. So we're going to continue doing these stay-at-home editions. Going forward for the foreseeable future, there's a lot of them, so you get a lot of bang for the buck if you're on the Patreon. If not, uh, well, just thanks for listening, I guess. Yeah, just thanks for listening. So let's hear a Shiner tune, chop it up with Alan, and we'll have a good old time in these bizarre times of ours. This is Life is a Mannequin.
with us now, we have none other than Mr. Alan Epley of Shiner, The Life and Times, and of course, the Third Gear Scratch podcast. Welcome. What's up, man? How are you? Uh, it's good. Good seeing you. Good talking to you. Hope you're dealing with your, your quarantines uh, in, in a <laughs> sane and safe manner. Yeah, um, I am home, you know, making a lot of meals, taking a lot of walks, I'm creating a lot. I have a couple of mix projects for some bands I recorded. I've been finishing that up, and so that's been good. Um, uh, laid off from both my gigs. I work at the Blue Man Group in uh, Chicago, and I, I work, I'm a, I'm a cocktailer at a cool whiskey bar called Longman and Eagle in Logan Square. And so, obviously, restaurants are closed, and, you know... <laughs> yeah, you're kind of boned on both accounts at this point, right? <laughs> I've been just drawing unemployment, which is actually surprisingly not a terrible take. Thank you, Bernie, and the rest of them. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah, I'm actually in a very similar boat. It's one of the reasons why I've, I've kind of kicked it into overdrive with a lot of these shows right now is because it's basically the only thing keeping me sane. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's a routine. It's something that builds community for folks and they get to, you know, it's become a part of people's quarantine life, but it's as much for me yeah. as anything else because with, without any kind of regular routine, it's a, it's a weird time to be alive, man. It's a weird time to be alive. It's a weird time to be releasing a record too. And of course, before that, um, before I had you on, we had life as a mannequin, which is one of the new singles off of the new record, somewhat <laughs> ill-timed, uh, as it would seem, uh, which is not, right. you're not the only ones in that, in that boat, uh, for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it is. I don't know what you know. We like where I, I've been definitely preparing to get really bummed out about it, and I already have been. And yeah. but like, you know, my stupid record didn't come out. You know, the people are dying, and like uh, <laughs> keeping it in perspective. So it's like it's like definitionally a first world problem. It, absolutely. <laughs> um, that said, it's an awesome record, and it's it's something where I know. It's been quite some time since there's been a Shiner record. Uh, the you guys came back with the reunion shows. You had that the first one where you had uh, Tim and you had Jason both uh, playing drums, which I thought was like pretty cool. Yeah, kind of, kind of, kind of gave it like almost a fami- like a Shiner family, Shiner family band sort of experience. And then also, you know, gave the uh, the diehards for the early stuff uh, a little Tim Dow for everyone, which was fantastic. Uh, you know, actually, that was uh, that's from like 2017. I want to say I think the first one, the first reunion shows were for the Egg re-release, and that was in 2012. So we've been. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. So we, ended up, we ended up doing a fair amount of these shows. Like every couple of years, we would re-release some of our old vinyl, and. Uh, so do a few shows along with that, you know, make some mm-hmm. people happy. Um, and we were having fun doing it and playing together. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it just, we figured that we would need to, at some point, release some new music if we were to continue to play. You can only, so, you can only milk that old tea. You know? <laughs> yeah, there's certainly precedent for bands that have done it, but it's not necessarily anything you would want to follow. Uh, mm-hmm. To be sure. So, so how going into that and going into making this record, which is which is really cool. The two songs I've heard are really cool. They're very, um, it's very lush. It's, it's sort of like I feel like if someone is familiar with 
the works of Shiner, they're going to be totally on deck. Like the first, the first single, the one I played is a little more kind of uh, atmospheric. And then second one, and the more raucous side of things. The, yeah. I guess where I'm going with this is knowing the legacy and especially because you, you've, you've you know cranked out a bunch of life and time stuff since then, like a bunch of time has passed. Everyone's grown, change, et cetera, et cetera. How do you pick a band back up and decide, you know, <laughs> cursor blink, blank page where do you go from there to, to start doing a, a new shiner record yeah i think getting started was the most a little tricky but not near as tricky as what we had expected okay um i i think having played all these reunion shows kind of got us used to playing together and being you know same jokes back in being you know just being um used to uh sitting with each other and um and being, you know, around us, each other, and kind of wanting to, wanting to do it, you know, and have, finding a reason to do it. So, you know, you got to start. I know how to differentiate between my bands, and it is a conscious effort. You know, I don't, there are some things that I would write for one project and not for another, and so we were able to kind of like kind of hone in on that stuff, and it was pretty natural actually. And Josh contributed a lot. He and I were right. sending back and forth. Like, so, I mean, yeah, we, we did a lot of like co-writing on this and a, to good effect. Very unique and uh, talented entity, the entity that Josh, he's actually, uh, I've been lucky enough to have him on a couple times. Love that dude. Uh, oh yeah. Quite, quite the badass, uh, in his right. So when, when you talk about in your mind, you know, writing songs for like life and times versus like Shiner, like what can you, can you kind of expound on that? Like what, what the differences are internally? Like how do you, how you with the sorting I, hat, how do you decide which which uh, which house yeah. that goes into? Uh, yeah, I, I would say um, Shiner's a little more Slytherin, and uh, uh, nice. historically, but uh, the, I, I would say the initial intentions of Life and Times was to not work so hard on the songwriting process, just to let things fall out. Okay, and and that has been the case, and and. We're a very distinct three-piece. Um, I handle a lot of the high parts. Eric handles the meat of the song with the bass and the drum. You know, that's the chord progression a lot of times. And then I'll do the kind of atmospheric stuff. And and it's generally, we, we often will hew towards kind of like major key kind of stuff. Not all the time, but oftentimes I would say it has a little more major key kind of chill vibe. Um, and does things that Shiner wouldn't do. And as a result, Shiner does things that Life and Times wouldn't do. We're, we're more angular. Um, I like the, the guitar interplay between me and Josh, I think is really unique. Yeah. We're, we're both generally on each side of the mix. I'm on the left, he's on the right, and we just know how to kind of wrap our, our, our guitar parts around each other um, in really cool ways. And, and Paul has such a, a huge bass sound. Right. Uh, his tuning is super unique, um, and it just—it really is a, just a symphony of of, of low end. And then Gherkin's playing is—we we want it to be more uh, part of the tune and more um, something to sink the people sink their teeth in on. You know, I mean, we want it to rock. You know? Right, right. So, uh, we, I want it all to—I want everything I do to move people. Some, some songs aren't supposed to rock balls you know well they serve different ends they have different functions they try to accomplish different goals and 
I mean, I think that also just, I mean, even in presentation, you know, with life and times, like I, I feel, I feel like there's a certain aspect of, for <laughs> it's an overused term, but the power trio that it's like, it's like the triangle, right? Sure. <laughs> and you, and you got sure. someone like Metcalf who's, who's a amazing freaking drummer, uh, oh, yeah. tearing it up. And Just then you got both you guys kind of mini, almost Miniman style, not really, but in the same principle, kind of operating the different spectrums. Totally. And then, you know, add in like, you know, the stage show, you got like the lights going and like the smoke and everything. It's a totally different presentation. So, and it's it really is, but it's, but it also is like, I feel like it's not, it's not like you're playing ska either. You know, it, it's, it's coming from the same place. It's, it's it, just, it hits differently. It, like it would be, it might be hard for our, like, our grandmothers or somebody to tell the difference between our two bands. You right, know? Exactly. Well, is this one? So yeah, um, sometimes between some of the, I, I think there's some overlap and then there's a lot of stuff that's super pretty wide. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, the, the, the presentation is different, but the Shiner guys are generally fans of the life and time stuff that we've done and have been very supportive and cool over the days. And the Life and Times guys grew up as Shiner fans, you know, so th there's a lot of, like, mutual respect and love. Um, and, you know, well, I have this other new project with this guy, Ian Prince, um, from Houston and Story to Sea mm. and uh, Porcupine, and uh, which is completely different. And so that's easy to write something for. It's just bass and drums. And I played all these bass parts and these loops yeah. and things. And, and that's going to be different just because it's different instrumentation. So it's, it's always so going to come out differently. <laughs> it, sounds like, it sounds like Trans Am and, or something kind of. Right, 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 right. A little bit, yeah. So with um, – when you first – because Life and Times, there was some overlap with Shiner, right? Or was it, or was it uh, one just the other? There was like a couple years, right? Uh, not really. Not really. We – I – we all started getting fed up with each other, I think, around uh, <laughs> the end of, you know, somewhere yeah, yeah, yeah. in 2002, and then I started playing with some other, another guy for a little while, and then we cut it off. And then the, the last Shiner show was in uh, January of 2003, so I had already been writing with Mike Myers from Life and Times for a little while, but we had all but called it off before then, so there really Seems like there was some overlap, but really wasn't. It, it, was it wasn't in terms of creatively or, or from the, the functions of right uh, of being in the band. Well, I and mean, the only reason I bring that up is because it's hard. <laughs> For the younger listeners of the show, there was a time where you didn't instantly know everything about a band. Like, for instance, huh. when they decided to call it a day. Yeah. Uh, and, and, like, I had just... I became aware of what Shiner was doing. Right when we started first hitting the Midwest and, and replicated, which was around 2001, somewhere like along those lines, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, you need to play with Shiner, you need to play with Shiner." It's like, "Oh okay, cool, cool. I like that band name," you know. And then uh, by the time that I realized that, like, oh, they they stopped playing, it was like you know, years later because I was just busy with my own with my own stuff. But then I was able to kind of like go back and be like, "Oh man, like these other records are like really rad. Like I, this is." interesting stuff and so where i'm getting at with that is like with these reunion shows you not only have like the old guard you know uh beard and pot belly notwithstanding but you also have folks that never got to see that band the first time around so you're clicking with with the guys you know kind of locking into that muscle memory getting to where you need to go for that but then the crowds also are people you know in some cases that have never seen that band play before 
and, for sure. and so the, does that change the context for you at all um as far as where you're at with playing the songs anything hidden differently um i think we i don't know if it's hitting differently we definitely want to make music for more people than just the old guard right. we want to include the old guard but we would like for this to not just be like a send up for you know um some dude, a few dudes or whatever. Um, a nineties uh, oldies act. <laughs> we, we, we definitely don't want that. We think it feels, um, I mean, we're also not kidding ourselves, but a certain extent, but we also are like, we feel like the music is very relevant and super urgent. Um, and really cool. We wouldn't have put it out just to go fart around. Mm -hmm. Um, we think it's, we, we're very, very proud of the record and, uh, would not have even followed through with finishing the recording if it was not, or releasing it if it was not up to what we thought was badass. Totally, and and it's you guys are at that 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 uh, that space where it's maybe not that you were like you know worldwide superstars or anything along those lines, but what you did meant a lot to a lot of people. So there's always going to be pressure in some cases if you let it to not. You know, you don't want to let anybody down. You want to make sure that it's that's worthwhile. And then you have the whole thing of like, well, is this you know, is this a Shiner song? Like, what does that mean? Like, do you do you? Well, we we definitely went through that, and we did have some castoffs that we thought either like we probably wrote twelve songs, maybe fourteen, and we kept eight. So we did have some castoffs, some songs that were either not happening mm -hmm. or not or weren't quite Shiner tunes, or we tried to resurrect some older tunes. Um, that were kind of okay, but weren't didn't reflect us from now. Right, um, right. Everything that we put on the recording is from absolutely right now, and we think is like badass and like super relevant and popping. And, and the the recording itself is really cracking. I mean, Paul did a great. Yeah, job. no, I mean the, the the two songs I heard sound freaking awesome. Right. They, sound, they sound you know beautiful. It's 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 so it's all that you know. It's Gherkin's kit. And Paul's tracking and producing, and it just is like he's uh, he has a savant-like skills, you know. Well, and talk about when you're when you're choosing what to play. You know, there's a wide variety of of, of albums to choose from. You know, there's, there's stuff like the Egg. Uh, then there's a uh, you know there's there's Lula. There's Starless. You have all these all these songs. This huge back catalog that. You know, if you ask twenty different Shiner fans, like what the best Shiner songs, you're not necessarily always going to get the same answer. How do you how do you decide when you're doing the shows? How do you decide what to focus on? Because you can't you can't save every cat, right? <laughs> no, um, that's true. So we the very first shows we did in 2012, we practiced about 25 songs or over over like three days trying to get ready. Um, we ended up playing 17 or 18 of them, 20 of them over those shows and then we've as we've been playing and and uh what the initial list was the ones that we used to play and so we kind of looked at some old uh set lists yeah we didn't we didn't end up pulling um those super kind of like obscure songs that we never played before we we did not they also did not show up again this time <laughs> so um, uh, we've done, we've done a little bit of that, but a lot of people don't know shit from other sides that a lot, of, a lot of people know the last thing we did the, the most, you know, sure. so it's, yeah. Egg, it's starless and then it's Lula and splay. And so we kind of lean on 
playing from the egg and Starless and Lula, and then we pull one or two out from Splay. And it's just kind of, you know, I want to put on a show that's cracking for people. People, you know, people want to hear those tunes, you know. Some of the more, like, heady ones that I, I love or think are great, there's a song called Stoned, which is, like, um, the last song on uh, The Egg, and it just might not be perfect live because it's so, like, right. like you know, people are like, it's a reunion show, so I don't know. I don't know. It's like we, we have to be judicious on what you're yeah, you got to balance it on what's making you happy versus what's going to make the people that paid money <laughs> ponied up good yeah. American dollars to see you happy. That's right. Those generally those things will will intersect, like because there's a lot in the Venn diagram that overlaps in right. that, and those are the that you want to generally choose from, and generally the ones that make us happy are the ones that are going to translate enough to we get everyone else off. So, you know, and when you're and there's also a mean point, I think, that, that that as much as you, you know, it's cool to, like, serve the interests of the crowd and play all the songs that they want to play and play all the songs that you want to play. There's also the whole thing of you want to make sure you're playing them all well. And there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much time you can to practice also. So yeah. that's and, exactly. And if you're not unless you're doing, like, you know, two hour, like, Grateful Dead style set or something along those lines, like, I don't <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily warranted. So. Yeah, um, and that's that has been an up and down kind of thing. I think mostly we're pretty much on. We're at we're at about an eighty-five to ninety percent with most tunes. And generally, as we the more we play, it gets better. Obviously, as it goes along, sometimes those sure. I'm like, what was I thinking? You know, I've got like lyrics from like you know, call it eleven records now that I'm like trying to sift through, and I like I, I don't we don't use a teleprompter. You know, I don't have that. So. <laughs> Like, like, what's what? the story with Ozzy where uh, they they have like the lyrics to War Pigs and it's like, <laughs> okay. I'll tell you, what, man, like you gotta you gotta kind of have that stuff after a while. Especially, I mean, I, I almost don't fault those guys for having that kind of stuff, even though they played the song a million times and it's their biggest hit. Yeah. It's also standing in front of fifty thousand people and trying to put on a big show. Yeah. You might get off on where you're at in the third verse, second verse. Oh yeah, man. You know, so it's like. Yeah, man, have the prompter there. If you're a giant band like that, who gives a shit? Where everyone's like hanging on every word and singing along, like in some cases that you you don't want to blow that for sure. You don't want to blow it. It's worth it. <laughs> I was on the I was on the side of the stage with at Rush with some with a buddy of mine, <coughs> pardon me, and uh, he um, and I was looking at Getty and he Getty had a guy scroll his lyrics. Yeah, and it was all like, and the birds and the <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah yeah pulling through the shit well and it's you know and when 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 you're some punk rock band that you know of of little to middle renown people aren't necessarily going to notice if you like swap a verse or something along those lines but if you when you have people hanging on every every word like that you want to make sure you're delivering in in that way i guarantee the bad religion guys and the offspring guys and all those guys and green day and whoever those old punk rock that that old guard, they, I guarantee they have a scrolling. Uh, yeah, sure, totally. I mean, you know, how's it going to look for a sing along if like the singer is singing the wrong thing, right? If the crowd's I mean, right. I'm thinking about something else right now. I'm thinking about you know yeah. rocking a million faces. <laughs> yeah, you hopefully you're not thinking about your laundry or like you know did I put did I have enough fryer sheets? <laughs> exactly. So with this new record. 
with the writing process, Josh doesn't live anywhere near you. He lives. He's he's a West Coast dude, and his his day job. I don't mind saying this. He's mentioned on the show, but yeah, his day job. You know, he, he goes out with other bands, and you know, is a text like he was the the dude that found cool guitars for Fallout Boy, things along those lines. But he's a busy he's a busy fella at the best of times, and mm-hmm. then also you got this distance between you. So when you're writing, are you sending stuff back and forth? Are you waiting until like you're in the same room together? Like how's how's that process look at all? Um, for me, I, I really like just having people write something and let me sing to it. Um, there was a couple instances with that. Um, Josh wrote the f- main three sections for uh, um, "Low Hanging Fruit," which is a song a song on there, and I just kind of sang to it and added my own guitar parts, and then we brought it together and then roughed it out. So he he got on GarageBand and had a, you know, a little drummer, you know, or not, I don't know, I'm not sure what platform he uses. But, um... You got the drummer in the box, like the robot drummer going... Probably. To, I like, mean, set but stuff, yeah. Certain things, you just want to, like, get the point across. And, like, so we can do that, and we can... We did that, he sent it to me, and then I throw it into my computer, and I layer on, I send it back to him... He plays on it. We change it to a couple different things, and it's actually you use the new the new model is actually really really workable. Um, and he sent um, the first like kind of verse section for in the end, mm-hmm. um, the, which is the very first song on the record. And then I wrote this kind of like transition chord, and then the whole middle section. So we kind of like have, he wrote the verses, and I wrote this kind of like nice. send up of that. You know, this kind of. Chavezian send up of that, and um, and uh, so that's just like I, I love doing that anyway. I've, I've been on a lot of different people's bands, they'll uh, records a lot of different bands' records, like the Pelican. I sang on their record, um, a couple of those I sang with Spotlights, I sang with Molly Wire, I sang with the Jade Shader guys, which is uh, some pinback boys, um, um, Open Hand, a lot of different bands. Mm-hmm. I, I really like kind of just assimilating to people like that and doing that. So when Josh sends me something, it's really easy. Um, so those are the very first song that was written was um, Paul P. Poe. And I mm-hmm. wrote out kind of guitar part. I sent it to him and he wrote his little thing. We sent it to the boys and they were like, Oh, this is great. Or this sucks. Or this is great. But generally this is great. And we, we chose out five or eight to kind of work on. And then we would meet in Champagne. They would all drive up and Josh would fly in. And I would drive down to Champagne down to Matt Talbot's studio. Mm-hmm. And we just practiced. We didn't record anything. Or if we did record anything, it was just a two-track. Right, right. Um, Probably for internal reference. You exactly. Know. <laughs> Listen back yeah. to it. You're playing that? Oh, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. That's exactly what it was. So we did that two or three times. And we came away with a batch of songs that we really liked, which was, there was like 12 total. And then we ended up whittling down to about six. Mm-hmm. And then later on, we we realized we wanted to do a little bit more. And so, um, we thought the record could use more. And so I wrote swallow, which was another thing I had, had kind of like put together for the band. Um, and so I kind of fleshed it out and I sent it to Josh. He wrote his thing. We sent it to the boys. Uh, Paul recorded Gherkin playing to my original fake tracks. And, uh, and he, what he did was, pardon me, he ran through the song like eight times Mm -hmm. and he did completely different, treatment every time um, oh wow okay so i chose like take five or whatever it was right right (laughs) which is kind of a really deconstructed version of it yeah you know so paul sent me like all these different you know stereo 
drum mixes of these takes, and mm -hmm. I just like I go this one, and then a couple. So it was like a really a great use of technology. Quite honestly, it was a, a perfect use of what we have today, and to embrace the fucking interwebs. You yeah, know? yeah. It, it embrace the uh, the. What some might call, yeah, possibilities that are, can also be viewed as restrictions if you look at it in a different way of sure. of doing things that way. And again, and you know, I was joking about it, but like the whole idea of, and I'm sure you guys have dealt with this as well, where you play a song for like forever when you're a, a band that goes into practice room and you know plays every week. You play it for forever. You take it on the road. You 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 play it every night, and then like you go to record it, and they're just kind of like, "What are you doing there? <laughs> oh, have you playing?" Have you always done that? Oh yeah, I've always done that. Oh really? Really? <laughs> We're a half step off here from each other. Yeah. So in in this case, it's you 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 get around that in a very interesting way, and it, it's funny you mention you know Jason playing drums to the track and doing different takes, like with different vibe takes of uh, of what's happening, because that would still happen. It's just that you'd have to think about it. If you were recording, it would be like, that'd probably be the first thing. And then everything else would be colored because of that. So That's exactly right. Yeah. You, you would either be in the room with him and you'd be like, uh, try this, you know? And he'd be like, well, I already did that the first time when we got in here. And like, well, yeah, in a certain way, you can kind of avoid some of those. Right. Like, it's be like, oh, try to do it again. Well, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> I'll play it any way you want, Paul. It's like you go to Let It Be with George Harrison telling Right, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> whatever you want, you just tell me however you want me to fucking Paul's being a dick, you know. Because he knows that like, you know, being being a being that snit that can like play everything himself and is also a really great drummer, he's like just being like, yeah, having a total chip on his shoulder with it. Totally. Totally. So with the and I've it's it's interesting I'm gonna be really interested to hear your take on the egg because I've had Josh on a couple times. I've had Jay on a couple times too. And I've kind of heard all the other perspectives from it. Did you view that record as kind of like a sea change for what Shiner did? It, it, or did you kind of just feel like it was just like the natural progression from, from where you were going? Um, I thought it was a sea change. I thought it was, I, I did think it was a natural progression um, considering what we had done but this was the first time that the the real power of what us four could do together. Yeah, we and we had a we I had a very kind of sour experience with Starless. Um, Starless was written with me and Tim Dow and Paul, um, and then we added Joel Hamilton, and then he helped us record a couple things and add some second guitar parts. And then we went to go record it, and we had a Gherkin, and Gherkin was playing like somebody else. Gherkin wasn't playing like Gherkin. He was playing like a session guy. He yeah. goes, I'll play like what I think the parts need. And so yeah. he he really stripped down a lot of things, and he kind of turned it into a different kind of band. Um, and I do, I like the songs from Starless. I don't love the record, and I don't want to disappoint any fans, whatever, but they'll still love it, if I even if I don't. Yeah, it almost doesn't matter what you think about it, right? But <laughs> <laughs> And there are Exactly, but I do. I do stand by a lot of the songs. We play a lot of them live, and I think it's a pretty solid record overall. Um, there's just some things that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Um, so when we started to write for the Egg, it was a pretty strict regimen of what we did. We practiced every Tuesday and Thursday from one to four, 
And so, and the end the day we so we had day practices at my house in Kansas City in in the in the basement, and we recorded much of it while we were writing, and we had a lot of coffee going. So when I asked Gherkin to play his ass off and play like like he would play, yeah, let, let <laughs> and Shiner fans didn't know a lot of what Gherkin could do, you know, because right. the, Shiner, the Shiner group was in a different crew from the Molly Maguire crew. Right, right. So, so they they just knew him as like his Tim Dow impersonation, almost. Right. <laughs> yeah. They didn't know what a badass he was. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So, and a different um, kind of drummer too, like a different, like yeah. a different style, different vibe, different kind of drummer. Totally. Big, big fans of each other. Um, they emulate each other. They can, they can, they've stolen from each other in, in good ways, um, in ways that show that they love each other's style. Um, but like, Shiner was, you know, had spent the past you know, five or more years doing a kind of DC um, and Chicago thing. Whereas Molly had spent the previous years doing a kind of West coast and major label thing. And it had been different groups and camps kind of, even though we started in the same place. So when Gherkin started playing, they didn't really get a chance to kind of see what he could do. So at that point we were able to really flex what Gherkin could do and what we could do as a songwriting group. Me and me and Josh are parts together on either side of the, um, the stereo split, and um, uh, I think the writing is ambitious. I think it's really good. Um, I think it is a, a high high watermark, um, and uh, it, it was a sea change in that we were able to really kind of capitalize on what I feel like was a great record in lieu of Divinia, and so we were able to do what I felt was justice to the history of Lula Divinia, where I did not feel like Starless was a great follow-up to Lulu in my, in my sure. humble opinion. Yeah. Well, and, and you invoked Chavez earlier when we were talking about something, and in a way that y'all, none of what y'all did really sounded anything like Chavez, but the interplay was very similar in the fact that you'd be playing, you know, some kind of interesting on the guitar and have, like, a vocal part going that, like, builds the melody, and then Josh would just come in with some, like, insane, like, you know, you know, like, non-Euclidean geometry. Yeah. <laughs> Thing sort of, over like, it, yeah, some sort of baroque counterpoint. Yeah, and and be and in that way again, without sounding like Chavez, not that anyone really sounds like Chavez. Like you guys had like a similar like aesthetic where you you play off each other like almost symbiotically. And it feels like that really like hit. Oh, we've stolen like straight out. So I'll talk. <laughs> it's okay. But, yeah, but the ethos is the same. Yeah, of, like you know, each of them in your own spot, and the yeah, so. And so, and the songs, I feel with with the egg, I, I feel like Jay really got what you guys were doing too, which I think is is you know you, you want to hope anyone that's <laughs> recording is going to do that. But I, I feel like like with the combination of where you guys rat at a ba- as a band, that stretch of songs and like where you felt with the comfort level, and then also with you know with Jay recording you, I think it was just this perfect storm where. You know, it, it, it kind of got to build. You know, like, you want to think about things being like greater than the sum of their constituent parts. And I feel sure. like, for me, that it really got there in a way that was really ear catching, and maybe even in a way for folks that hadn't been along for the ride for you know Lula and Starless and and, and all the earlier ones. Sure. So, record was pretty well received. You know, amongst the 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 indie rock world. <laughs> the the, the yeah, ghetto of the sub ghetto. <laughs> no, it, it did. It got. It got. It was received well. And it's fascinating to me because what I had started to notice uh, after that point, 
and in the intervening years afterwards, is there started to be bands that kind of cited that album as influence and like did like their 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 take on it. Like there was like a sort of like a, a shiner shiner derivative band kind of model that happened, but it was only specifically from the egg and certain um, tonal aspects and, and, and compositionally. But it was definitely noticeable, and I would always you know, hit up these bands like, hey, y'all Shiner fans? And they're like, we're our favorite band. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I, I imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. You know, I mean, I, I um, it, it doesn't hurt my feelings in any way, and I, I'm, I'm into that. Um, I've heard it in big bands and small bands. I've heard it in, in other things. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have much issue with it. There's some, there's comes down to a point where other people hear it a lot sooner than I do. Like I'll totally I'll certain bands that I, you know, some people are like, Oh dude, these guys are ripping you guys off. I was like, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you listen to it. And you're like, mm. <laughs> are they? <laughs> Yeah, so maybe... But Why do you maybe, think that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but maybe objectivity is, you know, clearer, you know, from a distance. Well, I mean, but that's not... You know, I've, I've talked to folks about that before, you know, in similar situations. Like, you talk to, like, a Buzz Osborne or like a Jerry Casale or something. They don't always hear the influence of what they did in something. They're like, oh, it's cool. It doesn't sound anything like us, though. Or, or like, what they think of as the thing isn't necessarily what, like, a listener is going to hear the same thing. Right. But I guess what I'm, I'm driving at with the with all this talk about the egg is is that was something where it was almost it seemed like almost from the outside like a level up for Shiner, but at the same time stuff's kind of starting to spool down a little bit. Is what it sounds like. Like like it's just you guys have been doing it for a while. Like what can you can you give some clarity as to where your guys' headspace was? Yeah, that wasn't the issue. Um, that wasn't the issue. Uh, we just. Um, I think there were just internal things where we were just in different spaces um, internally. I think we were having um, create, I think just like, it's kind of almost boring. It's some of the same things <laughs> that, that every band breaks up from it's creative conflicts. Yeah. There was money, there was money talks. There was um, uh, creative, creative credit talk and things. That, that, oh, that, like compositionally, you mean like, yeah, and so it got to be, and so it got to be um, just too much, and so we just kind of bowed out, and we, we were just—I think we were just all exhausted from it. Um, uh, Josh and I first felt it. I, I, I felt it on tour um, a few times, and where I, I just realized I might—I would be really uptight and tense, and then I would like relax, and I'd go, "I don't have to do this." I was like, "What? I don't." have to do this yeah you know it's, it's not compulsory yeah <laughs> yeah and it was a certain bit at which we felt like we had been doing it for a while um we should do something else kind of like we were kind of old men of the crew that we were all 32 <laughs> and, you know Josh, <laughs> old men i'm using air quotes here for the listeners <laughs> i would have been, been yeah literally like 32 years old 33 years old you know sure, coming yeah. from a old man right now so it's like I always like to think about how I'm feeling. I um, I don't like to. Con- I don't think of myself as. Um, I realize I'm not a young man, and I also don't think I'm of myself as like geriatric. I think of that when, when I'm 80. I'll look back on when I'm 51 and think, "Dude, you were a young man. Why were you feeling old?" You know? Yeah, 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 totally. Because <laughs> it's, it's all relative. Yeah, <laughs> it is all relative, and I I feel really good right now. I'm in good health, and my, I feel very creative, and I'm 
feeling very, uh, very spry. And so I, I, I feel it's all, um, relative. It really is relative. But then as far as the stuff with, with the egg, you know, you got, you guys make this great record. It seems like it's, it's something that just only builds and builds that as far as people like paying attention to it, but there's conflicts, you know, things are happening. Do, is there a specific, like, Hey, you know, we're done with this conversation or is it just kind of like Peter out? Well, we had, I think there was a turning point at which we were, uh, we were, we were touring for the egg in 2002 and we had, we had done, we had toured, with Burning Airlines in, in August of 2001. We went to Europe. Uh, we came back. We toured with Death Cab for Cutie. We, and, and then in 2002, we were touring with um, Engine Down. And we were touring with Ariogram, a really great band. From, oh, man, I loved Ariogram. And they're like lost lost to time, but what a great band. Well, they're not I mean, he's in churches now. Um, yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> Which, yeah. which I just mentally redact apparently because it's like I says I don't listen to that band that much. It's like oh yeah, same dude. But he They're also great. played in Ganger. He played in Ganger, which sounded like wildly different. Also great. Right. Yeah. Um, but Sorry, but anyway, are- yeah. So you're on tour Europe. Yeah. Wildly successful. But uh, but we and then we so it kind of wound down in the in the in the spring of '02. Uh, we did some summer touring and then we toured. We did. We we're going to do some shows with a band called Ina. Some friends of ours from Spain. And they came over, and we did a couple of shows, and then we were going to meet them in uh, Omaha. Or we were out for a, a week or ten days or something. We were going to meet them in Omaha, and so we, we were driving up and hit a deer on the way up in a rental van because our our van had died. We had a rental van. We hit a deer. Couldn't make the show. Um, it was a. It was kind of like it didn't make us want to keep going. So. We, we took a break, and then uh, at a certain point, we were just like, ah, I'm not feeling it, you know? Um, and I was really feeling doing something else. So, um, and so was so was Josh, and so was, I think Paul and Gherkin would do kind of, would have done, kind of kept going or stopped, depending, but everybody was feeling a bit disaffected, I feel like. Yeah. And there was some, there was some schisms within the, within the camp, which... We it took us a little while to even kind of remember what it was about. But. <laughs> right. Well, I remember. I, I remember I was bummed at you, but I don't remember why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hated your gut, but I can't for the yeah. life of me. Why? Why? Why, why was? Why were we mad? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. There is some of that, uh, but then you know, you spend a time, you realize. But now we're at a much more stable point where we can uh, deal with each other um, in adult ways and ways that are much truer you know and uh, we're better humans than we were we're better humans for sure well and, the, and your reasons for playing music aren't necessarily going to be exactly the same too right you know and and that's sometimes with time comes wisdom one can hope for sure and we want to take advantage of our time together and, and we're enjoying playing together um and you know make up for some from lost time you know a little bit so with the and i really enjoyed the 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 tour the I guess it was twenty seventeen twenty sixteen whenever it was where you had Tim and Jason playing as we've right. established very different drummers like they they just have like very different styles do you feel like well, how how did how easy was it to wrap your head around you know do, doing the the gear shift right but, but between between the two of them <laughs> especially <laughs> pre, within the set <laughs> right um, they both made some concessions I think about what the kit 
could do and how quickly it could get turned around and into different you know different sizes and heights. But I think um, it was they met in the middle and so it made that um, a little smoother. I can't remember exactly what it was, but they were able to kind of like make Working it work. Out. They're fans of each other. Yeah. It's not like their kid is wildly set up differently. I think Tim's, like Tom's, his like rack Tom might set a little flatter than Gherkin's, mm-hmm. but Gherkin sets flat too. You know, I think they're, they're, they're similar drummers in some ways and have uh, a lot of the drummers they love are, are some of the same ones. You know, Terry Bozio and drummers like that, they love that kind of shit. Um, but um, as far as playing with them, it was different. It was wildly different. Um, of course, Tim hadn't been playing as much over the past, you know, the, the past few years. And so um, he didn't hit quite as hard, you know. And so it's a little different. Um, Tim, Tim also has, like, real flair and things that, that they each have different types of yeah. men which are super uh, gratifying to play along with. So I don't know, it's great. Very little to complain about, you know, in either. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, for a fun show, like I said, you know, Shiner Family Band is kind of what the the vibe I was given in in a good way. But it was was interesting watching, like, you know, you three fellas being the same guys and the same players, but sort of like latch on to different parts and like kind of like it's a real subtle things that even if, like, if you know the songs, it was even more apparent, but... Something that like it just made you feel like you were getting like a two for one deal or something for the show, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope so that's good, and I I think it also speaks to the kind of level of um, harmony and everything that we're in with all the players because um, well, we wouldn't have done it if we weren't like really down with it, you know. I mean, it, we we are all we love Sweet Tea Tim Dow, and you know Gherkin loves him, and there was never anything like oh you yeah, you fucking play with these guys and blah blah blah. There was never any of that. He's and he's nothing but supportive and such a cool motherfucker and one of my closest friends, Tim Dow. Um, so nothing but love for that guy. And I and I um, I was really glad to be able to include him on that. Honestly, we didn't really get to be really tight, great friends until the time around the time he was leaving Shiner. It was like throughout all of my time with Tim when he was in Shiner, we were like at each other's throats, quite honestly, a lot really? of times. Okay. Not at each other's throats, but we had we had some acrimony, let's okay. say. Yeah. Well, and that's um Yeah, I mean, cuz you guys and you guys did a lot. It, it's easy for folks to just kind of focus on the later stuff, but I mean, y'all went out at, you know, and you were like the the band that could play with Sunday Real Estate and you could play with the Jesus Lizard, you know, and, and it's sort of like it, it made sense <laughs> to yeah, certain degrees. Also, yeah, exactly. We we like in the in the in the span of years from like 92 to 97, that was the uh, kind of years with the first lineup with Sean Sherrill and Tim Dow, and we were a three-piece. That was for Splay and uh, and then the writing of some of Lula Divinia. Let's say that, you know, from 92 to 96 was the, sh- was the years when we played with everybody. We were playing with yeah. SNFU and Lowe and like uh, – <laughs> oh, like, like, Codeine, and we played with um, Jesus Lizard and uh, Golden and Trans Am and Brainiac and Jawbox and Flaming Lips and uh, um, like just like literally everybody. We we were the band in Kansas City for a while that was good to play with anybody. We'd take a hundred bucks and we had a draw. Yeah, yeah. You bring people in. 
You know, it's it, 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 it's it's music that would also the touring band would be like, ah, that band was good. You know, yeah. <laughs> like there was something there. We got hooked up with DeSoto Records. We played with Jawbox and uh, Shudder to Think um, and Sunny Day Real Estate. And uh, no, it's Jawbox and Girls Against Boys on that show. And then the other show was Sunny Day and Shudder to Think. So but we got hooked up on DeSoto with Jawbox and then we got Flower Booking. Right. And then... Even at that in '95, when Splay was coming out, we had Richard Grable as our lawyer, and he was Pearl Jam's lawyer, Smashing Pumpkins' lawyer, Hole's lawyer, everyone's big label uh, lawyer. So for that time, way before Lula Davinia and Egg and Starless and everything, we were at a point where we were like much more uh, doing a lot of like really great touring and. and with a lot of a lot of different bands, the making Griff, connections Griff. with like-minded bands, and oh, you know, yeah, we yeah. Like, <laughs> we were part of this network, you know. The you know, you you were that. the we were the the those guys of that place, which uh, which is a good. We, like we did some shows with Harmar, and like we were out, like it was crazy. It was really cool. It was really fun. So, moving forward, yeah, you know, we talked about you know Shander kind of winding down post the egg. I guess is what about 2002 that you start you put together life and times is that is that, is that timeline about right? Uh, that is about right. About at the end of 2002, yeah. So you're writing some songs, you put some stuff together uh, with um, with the bass My player, mom. and uh, uh, yeah, no bass player, just a, just me and a drummer. And oh, really? So when were you did and you started off with Metcalf, like you started off with Chris. I started off with a guy named Mike Myers. He's a drummer from Kansas City, one of my oldest buddies. Um, uh, and he was in a band called um, The String in Return and a band called In the Pines. Okay. He's a very different drummer than what a lot of people thought I might be playing with. Right. Like, I thought I might come out with some guy who's like even more like Tool or something. Right, the, right. Super prog, yeah. <laughs> this was the opposite. So we went intentionally in the opposite direction to do, to open up, open up the beats, open up the sky, the chord progressions. Yeah. To, work so hard on creating a, a this dense material and just kind of let it flow more flow and we wrote about 40 songs in six months um and tracked them all um me and mike my since it was only one melodic instrument and one drummer it was much easier to write sure yeah yeah i could just lay down the bass parts or whatever and yeah. so we 40 songs in six months you don't have to explain the concept to anyone you you already know <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So I was able to kind of draw on those songs from throughout all of Life and Time's career in a certain way. So when do you, when does it change up to you playing with Eric and uh, and Chris and like and kind of locking into what we what we know of as the contemporary Life and Times? Like where where do you when do you, when do you get to that neighborhood and did it change like the mission statement at all or what you thought of as the band when that kind of locked in? Um, it just focused a little bit more. Um, the first lineup kind of fell apart. It was, um, I did eventually get a bass player, John Meredith, one of them, a great band that was, um, we knew from called, called uh, someday. I, a really talented producer and engineer songwriter. And, um, so we did a, we put out an EP on 5440 or fight records. Oh, yeah. 5440 or fight. Yeah. Steve Bridges. Yeah. What's up? Great man. <laughs> and, um, and then we did a tour and we had a, we had a kind of a, uh, break. We had a huge breakdown with a van died on the West Coast in Bakersfield, California. Yeah, from the so Central was, Valley. So uh, yeah, I understand exactly that of what you speak. 
Yeah, it died literally in in um, on the grapevine, and so we had to have someone come get us no. way up in the hills, way yeah, up in yeah. the hills. And then um, we stayed in Bakersfield for three or four days, and got our. We had to buy a new van. We limped home with a few shows. Um, I that van died. It was the old Shiner van I had bought from the band for like not much, but um, so um, that kind of put us. We, we made some demos and uh, but but that that um, version of the band kind of died a, uh, a hard death you know John was moving out to New York um, um, I don't know it just was some disillusionment and we were trying to find each other there's a moment where we we're looking for for a drummer Eric and I Eric had signed on he was in a band called Ring Cicada really fucking oh, great yeah man I, 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 not, I not only saw them I think I ran sound for them in Oakland at one point like you, <laughs> years ago <laughs> So, Good man, I forgot. You know, I forgot all about that. I would have hit him up when I saw him when uh, last time you guys came to Milwaukee. If I th- if I had known that or remember that, but whatever. I got a lot of it. I've got a lot of banal esoteria floating around this brain. So oh, yeah, yeah, me too. But yeah, the Ring Cicada record, Steve Albini recorded it, and uh, I think Steve Bridges put it out also. And it is such a great record. So huge, huge. Somebody should look that up for sure. I'm sure there's a Bandcamp page for it. Um, but uh, we got. I got. I asked Eric to join, and he moved up later to kansas city and um we started a drummer search and we played with about 10 different fucking people who just did not work out a lot of people that you would have thought would have been fucking great yeah just Uh, didn't gel with what you guys were doing though huh and it was yeah yeah really not at all so difficult um and then uh so eric and i were writing and we were putting some things down nice to have a cohort a partner a collaborator and eric um and we were able to focus what the sound was um and then we knew chris from a band called stella link in kansas city and they're a fucking great band stella link i hate to say everybody's a great band but like there's a lot of- <laughs> right right right, right. <laughs> there's a lot of terrible bands too i can go off about those bands yeah too. and just because yeah doesn't doesn't mean that any band that's mentioned that does not have that is not a great band but it's sometimes right. you you need the hyperbole to get the point across i get it exactly. <laughs> um but like seriously a great band um and so i asked chris to join and he goes <laughs> at first Chris goes yeah man I've been dying to play guitar and I go <laughs> I go what I, I I no I need you to play drums he goes oh okay alright I thought Myers was playing drums I go no nah, it didn't work I need you on drums he's like okay he was like <laughs> so, <laughs> he was like oh I'm he thought he was going to get in and start shredding I was like no my friend this is a <laughs> we're sticking to three we're staying at three feet. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, um, and that was about 2005, four, um, 2004, five. And, and we put out, and so we were able to kind of put some songs together and we tracked with Paul at, um, uh, down at earth analog. And then, um, in, in, uh, champagne at Talbot's place. And then, uh, we ended up having, Paul mixed a couple songs from the first record called Suburban Hymns, and then Jay Robbins mixed the rest of it, um, and then it was released on DeSoto Records. It was one of the last releases on DeSoto Records. I was going to say, right, right, right about as they were sort of winding down, yeah. Yep, yep. And uh, so we were doing some cool tune. Flower Booking still booked us, and so that kind of kicked it off. That kind of kicked off the whole thing. So, 
and then uh, the first of four records. Five. Well, and you know, as we already established, you know, the presentation is a little different. Uh, you know, vibe is a little different just because you know uh, you, you guys are occupying different tonal spectrums, things along those lines. Was the uh, how to go at, at first when you start when you're when you're playing out when you get like what is you know the get Metcalf playing drums you you get what like what's known as like the more definitive lineup I suppose like what's what's the audience response to it like do do you notice like that like people are generally down for it are people sort of like you know side eyeing like a little bit of column A column B a little bit um and the initially with the first lineup um it was a little less convincing I think live for some people they were yeah. expecting these more like tool or something <laughs> sure yeah yeah <laughs> or like flaming lips yeah yeah um, but they, they expected like what the expectation versus what was delivered wasn't necessarily a, a, a venn diagram with a lot of overlap no and i was i was looking to to shake some of those uh good old country boy shiner fans and they were like oh man shiner and tool and <laughs> corn i love y'all you yeah, know, yeah, the, the guy who like works at the gas station and like you know very well, eager to tell you about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, those, and generally I'm very supportive of, of everybody who wants to support me. I I, yeah. I want every I like I don't care who it is, but like if some people weren't having us for some artificial um, surface reason, um, then they can fuck themselves, and I don't care, and I'm not trying to get their vote anyway. And I would be fishing up the wrong tree. To, right, right. It's not what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so I, I started from the very beginning to try to like say, if they want to come along for the ride, that's fucking great. And I would love to have you, but you might not get some of this stuff. We're going to go some different places that Shiner didn't go. So yeah. if you don't, I get it. And so, but it also opened us up to touring with a lot of different people. Um, we toured with, you know, Life and Times has toured with a very diverse group of people like Appleseed Cast, um, Murder by Death. Um, we've toured, um, we toured with uh, Pelican and Mono. Um, we toured with, um, with just like, uh, a lot of different, really diverse, cool bands. Yeah. The Besner Lakes, um, just like really cool, very interesting lineups. And so I, that with Shiner, it was a little difficult. We were more like a headliner. We can only headline. So when we started, when I started live in times, we were back to being an opening band again. It was like awesome. Cause yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, let new people be in the middle slot, be in the opening slot. You don't make as much money, but you have these really exciting tours. You know, we did a, we did three weeks with the get up kids and, um, Kevin divine, you know, and that was really interesting. Lost our asses on this tour and we're playing all these theaters, you know? Um, but there was a really, they're really cool opportunities for us. And so right. we, we took advantage of it. Well, and, and so, and you, you bring up a couple interesting points because I think that, y- you know, when I, when we played sport for you, I explained to the other Secret Friends guys, like, look, for a lot of these people, we're just in the way of their favorite band, straight up. So as long as you walk in knowing that, like, we're good. But there's some folks you're not going to be able to move here because they're just not even going to hear you. You know, it's, it's nothing to do with what you're doing. Doesn't mean yeah. that it's that you, what you're when you're not laying down the damage. Just they're not there for it. And sometimes that happens. You know, when I had Chris Spencer on, he's talking about Unsane playing with Slayer. And you know, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, we just had to like, you know, not leave any breaks between songs because otherwise people would just be like Slayer in between." Yeah. And the Shiner fans are are, are much more uh, polite <laughs> than than to do that. But there is a vibe that like Shiner puts out of of just being 
like oh no this is the band this is this is the band and so it's, it's it can be a difficult situation but with life and times it's not like you're starting from zero you're, you've got to you get your front loaded with a bunch of goodwill and with people to kind of know where you're coming from at least but it's not at that same level so it allows you to sort of it allowed you sort of redefine what you were doing right would you say that's accurate absolutely it was a very freeing experience and and one that i don't regret at all it was the exact thing that needed to happen um the music that i've made and and the and the experience of getting to kind of restart but not having to restart completely right. you know great booking and great label um consistently even though it's kind of been shifting we did desoto we did arena rock and then we're on slim style now which is jack vaughn works at sirius xm but um it's been a it's been a really like really great experience all the way around and being able to make music that i i stand behind every one of the live contractors like hardcore like i i, I occasionally you you pass by it and you go oh hear this record you know so yeah. you have years and i i'm always like generally impressed with us genuinely impressed with the work we've done i go hey all right <laughs> right 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 so and, and, and there's been like there's like what five records you did like three with slim on slim style one on arena rock one on desoto if i remember correctly yeah. right exactly right yeah and it kind of seems like that last uh you know that that last one hit at a point where uh, you know, from the outside perspective, it seems like there were people like latching onto it and glomming onto it that maybe weren't all the way on board earlier or like had like yep. fallen off or something. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. I mean, if they did, that's great. And we didn't try to go out to do anything um, outside of our what we just do. We always try to write what we love. Yeah. We, we, we really can write in a lab setting. Like we'll walk into a rehearsal, us three in Live of Times, and not have anything started. I don't come in with like these three mm. sections. I'll just like, we'll just set up some mics and kind of like go, no, like kind of play along. We'll start some beats or drums and kind of bang it like, out. Yeah. It can kind of die a little bit and then we'll kind of fuck with it and we'll come back. And a lot of times, I mean, we've had a lot of success with just fucking writing, you know? Like it, it's really gratifying to write with those dudes. Do you record practices? Always. Like, unless we're just, unless it's just running over old material for yeah. a show. We always practice, but we always record while we're writing because you can stumble on something yeah, and you want to be able to remember. And also, not huge fan yeah, of that. Not going back to it, <laughs> back to it but in, um, as far as uh, like it, when you know that record has been pressed, it, it kind of puts you ready to go. Mm-hmm. You know, you can still fuck around and take a drink of your beer or whatever. You, you know, and have a small conversation, but the, you know, you're recording for like 45 or an hour, you know, 45 minutes or an hour at a time, you know, and then we'll stop and go use the restroom or whatever. But like, yeah, we, we do it. We do it a lot. And it's a different, uh, you know, that, that whole way of doing things is a different modus operandi too, than coming at things from a more composed standpoint, you know, demoing stuff out like, you know, Hey, I got this, you know, what do you got for that? Like, it's, it's a way different vibe. And I think, uh, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because it kind of seems that not like every artist can like do both. You know what I mean? Like like some <laughs> some folks you bang it out a room and they come out with pure genius, and some people you know throw them a demo and it's like oh man, it's the best thing I've ever heard. And some people yeah. just you know it's one or the other. <laughs> yeah, we, we do a little bit of both. You know, it's certainly not to suggest that I don't have some things that I've been fucking around with at home. Sure, you know? sure. Um, it was, it's less than in the back in the day. Um, I used to try to come in with two or three sections or 
maybe four or five sections, you know, those extra sections you don't need, what we call, and in Shiner, we call those the Y section. Like, why? <laughs> That's good. And it's like, there's the A section, the B section, maybe a C, and then there's a maybe a D turnaround, and then occasionally there's that Y section. Yeah. Like, why? Why? <laughs> yeah. Solid. I like that. I might, yeah. I might steal that. That's good. <laughs> I think it was Joel Hamilton. I have to say the Y section. That could be. I credit Joel for that. So uh, I, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I also want to talk a little bit. But it'd be disingenuous to not mention Third Gear Scratch, which I, I believe it's a Life and Time song that that in, that influenced, right? Uh, Shiner song. Shiner song. Luke. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, yeah it's a, that's okay. Uh, you've been doing this for for a hot minute. You you kind of you kind kind of came in hot with it. You've been hitting it hard. Obviously, I'm a fan of the podcast format. I've been doing this about six years, something along those lines. Uh, the show's got a voice. It's got sort of a mindset. What prompted you to start the show, and what's your vision for it, and and what have you learned from doing Third Gear Scratch? Um, I thought that I was in a unique position that um, I had – I know so many people about being in the arts and being a part of what we've done, and you do too. And so that's one of the perks of this, is that we've met people you wouldn't fucking believe. And we have stories of hanging out with them and, and doing that. Um, I was, I've was i been struck by um, that the whole ideal of uh, if, you're, if you're in a rock band, um, you're nothing unless you're on the cover of Rolling Stone. And, and you know, people don't know you. If they, they can't imagine that you actually make any money or what you, why are you doing this? Is this a hobby or, you know, or then there's other people that are, there's, you wouldn't know them at all, but have a really great living, you know, that are doing, um, uh, working on movies. They're doing, uh, uh, they're a grip for a movie or, or, or they're, you know, sound production. They've entered wardrobe, you know, there's all kinds of edges of the arts that make all kinds of great consistent money. And, um, so the, it was to kind of promote that whole thing and to expose the that stuff from college. I don't know if you remember this, but like, you know, it's like you, you I was a music major. I can't tell you how many times I heard people, they go, what the fuck are you going to do with a music major? <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't, I don't know. Or like a theater major or. Yeah, we or, used to call it a major in Tower Records, which I used to work at. Yeah. <laughs> I started instantly delivering pizzas, you know, like like, in Kansas city while I was on tour with Shiner. So it was like, I wasn't always, I was making money with Shiner too and doing this, but like, it was also like, you know, um, so I I guess I'm getting to the method behind the madness. Why are, after all this, do we choose to stay in it? How do you do it? How do you exist? What jobs do we do and choose to do or have to do in order to make it? How long do you foresee doing it? Why are the arts so fucking hard? Why aren't they respected? Why is also like they are respected? It's like the most important thing for everybody, unless there's a crisis, in which case it's the least important. Right. You know, I I think about a lot. I think it's like you know, you're deemed and it's not. It's a non-essential kind of thing, clearly. But uh, then again, after a while, it is essential because it's called um, living. It, because without the arts, it, it is just existing. Um, and uh, so there, that's, that's, that's a lot of it. Um, 
Um, the name is, is not apropos of anything besides being the name of a song that I think... Just a cool up. name, yeah, whatever. I, yeah, mean. I was trying to think of something for this to try to, like, I was like, uh, Giants Among Us, or like, I, you know, um, you people you'd never heard of, but should, or something, I don't know, you know, like, uh, yeah. the idea was to explore how different artists live. There's, um, so I work at the Blue Man Group, I'm in the band there, and here in Chicago, so a lot of the Blue Men, when they come in, there's some visiting Blue Men that come in from L.A., that were full-time blue men a while ago, but they tried to, they decided to jump off the ship and go be in like on TV and film. Yeah. And it's working largely, except sometimes it's slow or they, you know, they don't have a gig at that moment and they come back and they do what they call off the bench stuff in the busy times at blue man word. So it's like they'll come in over the holidays or matinee season and come do a couple of weeks and make some money. So, but it's also like you're seeing people who are on like shows like The Tick, um, the new Amazon reboot, the yeah, Tick, yeah. and like, like um, people on Nickelodeon, on like Howard Danger, and on like True Blood on on HBO, and different actors that you know. So it's just about charting this path that people who have decided to enter the arts and and what does that look like and how you know and why you know you know that that's the main thing. Yeah, how how'd you get there? How are you doing it? Why are you doing it? All that kind of stuff. Now, I think it's an interesting ethos. And actually, I mean, there's quite a bit of overlap with this show, too. So, of course, I think it's interesting. But, like, <laughs> of <course>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it sounds familiar. I like that, too. But I, th- I find it fascinating that there are so few shows that do that, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I say that as I'm a fan of the form. I'm, I'm a fan of, like, the long-form podcast. You know, what I always like to say with this show is a sort of like the vibe may not be anything like Terry Gross or anything along those lines. Like it's a discussion. It's an active back and forth, but the idea is to focus on people that you would never hear on Terry Gross. And the reason why is because like, it doesn't mean those folks like you mentioned aren't interesting or aren't worthwhile to talk to. In fact, there's a lot to learn there, but I also found that, you know, me having the shorthand of like, I make records, I tour, I live this life. Also, you get a different kind of discussion when you know you're sitting with someone that like also, you know, you're not starting from zero. It's not like you're discussing, you know, what Earth is like to a Martian or something along right. those lines. Exactly right. One of the, one of the things I thought was um, to, unique about my pod and, and and kind of what you do is also the, that we we are not just talking about the person's most recent product, but more like the whole how, deal. Why? Yep. You know, how do you do this? And like, you know, what? Okay. You know, you don't have to spend this for me. You know, like I'm talking. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to be in the album cycle, and we just talk about like it's literally, it's a river, right? The whole thing's yeah. a river. Like all the aspects of it are interesting. I sometimes think that like the stuff that's you know doesn't have to do with the music can be the most interesting. Not always. And- I think it is. <laughs> I had that bit of kind of conversation with that guy Patrick Fabian, an actor from. Uh, he's on Better Call Saul. Right. Yeah. Played- yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was a great conversation, and it was and he was kind of relieved to not have to just discuss the show and his character. It was about his journey. Yeah. How'd you get there? Exactly. How'd you get, how'd you get in this position that like this is happening, you know, like what was, let me get this straight. You moved to LA to be an actor and it worked. And how long was your, was your path? And (laughs) did how many eggs did you have to serve at brunch? How many, you know, what else did you do along the way? You know, what, what were their ups and downs? And you really made a career out of this? Yeah, this yeah. Is, <laughs> so that's the thing that people do. And yeah. so kind of like 
the heart of this, you know. So well, and I also appreciate the fact that you have someone like Matt Armstrong on that, like you know, I I know as well as you do from Murder by Death, but like you know, his path and you know playing uh, with uh, Frank Iero and, and stuff like that, fascinating. And like I know the guy, so I know the story, but it's it's like oh man, I thought that was so badass because then you actually get like that context that if you don't know, you'd be like. Wait, that dude from that band's in doing that? Like, what? The, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, the overlap. Yeah. Not to mention the BattleBots, just a hilarious dude and an awesome guy all around as well. The guy. So what? So what do you, would you say that you've learned like the most from doing the show so far? Because you got like, uh, like I, I, you know, I confess, like I do so many of these damn things. I don't listen to every episode. I listen to a lot of them. Oh, I don't. I don't expect that. I, but there's I, you're one of two actual music podcasts I do listen to, and I'm not gonna say what the other one is. But uh, well, that's nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they don't get no free press. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they can they can buy an ad. We don't have ads, but you know. Um, I think one of the things that one of the purposes of this was to address my own anxiety um, about my own choices in life, about what I've done and where I'm at and why I'm doing this, and it has really helped. Um, I'm on episode 44. Um, yeah, I was gonna say you're creeping up to 50. I know it's uh, it's getting... <laughs> yeah, so it's it's getting there. Uh, I. It has helped me to deal with why I do what I do, what I've chosen to do. Right. Do other people have these anxiety attacks in the middle of the night, questioning these reasons and all this other things? Well, um, what the fuck am I doing? How am I going to get out of it? What do I want to do? How long do I want to be here? Turns out I'm a lifer and I'm going to be in it. Right, right. <laughs> Talk about the life and times, let me tell you. Hey. <laughs> hey. But, but I, I'm, I will be doing it either in some way. I'll be teaching or I will be performing also forever in some way. I'll be doing some, some version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas for, I think for the first, when I was growing up and I can envision this rock and roll career that I would have, no doubt. I really wanted to, when I started playing guitar, I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this. Got a college, graduate from college, started on it, did it, doing it. And I think at some point I thought I would be out and would begin, uh, academia that I would go and start because my folks are both professors of music. So I thought, at a certain point, my path was to say, fuck this and get into teaching at a, some college or something. Go back to grad school and get some gig. Teach um, uh, excited kids what not to do. <laughs> right. And, or whatever. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... But I'm teaching in some aspect, not necessarily music business. but um, And so that just has never materialized. I've stayed in it, so um, which has been good, but um, has its ups and downs. But, it, you know... It really, it's, it's not, certainly not all bad by any stretch. No, totally. And uh, one thing I'm just utterly fascinated by and, and I would love to hear is how on earth did you get hooked up with Blue Man Group? Like how, how did that come to pass? Speaking they, of the exact thing that I would ask you if I was the host of Third Gear Scratch, that's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I moved to Chicago in 2009. Um, and I had, uh, I knew two people that worked for the blue man group and I think they alerted the guys there that I was in town and might be a good candidate. It's a very specific set of skills you need to have. Um, not everybody, many, 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 many great players try out and don't get it just because it's a very specific set of skills. Um, uh, I tried out and did not get the gig in 2010, mm. uh, another opening, um, in 2011, they called me back. I said, reluctantly, I said, yes. My wife said, why wouldn't you go? I was like, I don't know, because I'm being mad. Yeah, and yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a punk rocker, <laughs> damn it. That's why. Uh, I'm a rebel. So, I went back, and then me and Stephen Howard 
from Pinebender and uh, a bunch oh, yeah. of other bands. Yeah, yeah. Got Howard. Got we got hired uh, or Howard. <laughs> you got, <laughs> and, you got uh, Howard. That would be his a uh, prank show, like a uh, you know exactly <laughs> where he's pulling pranks on people. You just got Howard. And then uh, Noah Legger also got hired that day, and he plays with a million different bands you would know, like Disappears and Facts and uh, Mile Marker and uh, many, many different bands. Pearl. Mile Marker, what a, what a hell, that's a, that's a whole different conversation. I, lo- I love that band. That was a, Didn't quite so, get their due. But anyway, yeah, yeah, go ahead. But anyway, we got the gig. They knew of us. and, and um, But them knowing of you and wanting you to try out has nothing to do with getting hired. Like, you have to be able to... to yeah. To dance the dance. I'm, I would say I'm probably the least of the players in the Blue Man Group. All the drummers are insane. All the other players are just like Berkeley trained shredders. <laughs> just play. They can all, some of the bass players are better guitarists than they are, you know? Right, right. Like some of them, like one guy is this, he's a better drummer than he is, and he didn't even play drums in the band. And he's like, it, like, so you're dealing with a level of musicianship with these guys that are like, it's off the charts. And they're so, living and breathing. It's water for them, right? They're, Right, there's three people in the band. There's a drummer, there's a Chapman stick player, and and that's what I play. So I play Chapman stick and uh, bass guitar and various percussion instruments, and then there's a zither player, electric zither player, and and that's the most difficult of the instruments to learn. He also plays guitar. So that so there's three people in the loft, um, and uh, it's just a really really fun gig. It's a corporate gig. Um, it's not one that I get to introduce my ideas into. It's right, just a, not at all. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's a really cool playing gig with a lot of inspiring people, and the show is fucking great and very funny. Um, and everyone's and, coming together for this like much bigger, greater artistic whole too. You oh, know, yeah. Which is that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's a it's really cool. No, the whole origins of the Blue Man Group are great. Um, it has become more corporate. We're owned now by um, Cirque du Soleil, which is really good. It's not bad. Um, and, uh, like the whole people that I, all of the people I know there is a giant family and we genuinely really love each other. Um, from, you know, the people who work on the different decks, the technicians, the, the lighting, the house people, the sound, we all know and love each other greatly and are missing each other a lot right now. So sure, yeah. I have nothing to say, but great, great praise for uh, blue man group in Chicago, especially those are the ones I know. So how does that work with you? Doing that as like your main gig, and then also you know making records and touring, and, you know getting out as as much as as you can, counterbalancing Blue Man Group duties with making records, touring, all that. How do how do you find that balance? The schedule with Blue Man Group is set to where I can give them my my uh, schedule a month in advance, and so they'll work around. They know that everybody who's working there is a real is a another working musician in other ways, so they generally work with it. The the only requirements they have are that. You generally try not to tour um, during matinee season, which is basically March through July, and then try not to tour over uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, but there is some wiggle room in there, and we obviously have I obviously have toured, you know, in May and April and all those months. But um, yeah, so there's certain months when it's busier and certain months when it's dead. So um, that's the way it is. Yeah. So. Last thing, and we we touched on a little bit when we were talking about uh you know when we were when we were measuring them with podcasts, uh, I realized kind of late in the game that about episode ninety or something that whether I was asking the question or not, it was really always there. So it's the only canned question I ever asked folks, which is we already talked about, which is literally just why do you do what you do? Um. 
I have I've been uh, really considering that for the past few days. I mean, for the past few years, and in, in fact, um, I love what I do. Um, it has ups and downs. I'm good at it. Um, I'm also good at other things. I'm not. I'm not afraid to do other things, um, even things outside of my comfort zone. Um, but at the end of the day, I think life is short, and you should follow the things that make you happiest. And uh, this makes me very happy. I think um, I think I am affecting some people and, and able to able to do that. And so that means a lot to me. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I love what I do, and I think life should be spent doing what you love. Nice. That's as good a sentiment as I think we're gonna get, man. That's that's solid. Uh, what's the uh, for the immediate future? Uh, the new record. It's gonna be available yeah. when it's available. I think that has a timeline that change at all. Yeah, it's a uh, it's available May eighth, um, and you can get it probably uh, for sure through shiner.net, but it'll be on all platforms. There'll be a video for Lives of Mannequin coming out with Toby Lawrence. Uh, he was the he was the second guitarist in uh, Molly Maguire. Oh, no kidding. So okay. Yeah, yeah. Shiner family nice band, baby. Exactly. Nice to be nice to be working with family again. And uh, so then um, we, the first bit of the tour, which was supposed to start in May, will be postponed, I think, until August, if they're doing that at all. So we're taking it by a year. You know, there's the West Coast part of the tour was supposed to happen in July. Pardon me. Yep. And uh, so we'll see. I don't know. I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm expected to get my heart broken. If it is, then we will thank our lucky blessings that we're not dead or fucking worse. And, uh, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I really try to find it hard to complain about my stupid record and tour when there's real stuff on the line. So that's the main thing. It's good to keep perspective about all of it. And I think, uh, I think you're doing a good job. You got a good head on your shoulders. I think you're going to make it, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, brother. Thanks so much for the time. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pleasure till next time. Hopefully not too soon. Hopefully it won't be too long. Huh? Right, 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 right. (laughs) All right, brother. I appreciate you. Take care, Alan. Yeah. And there he goes. Let's hear a tune for real.
Pirates. That's uh, some Shiner Pirates. Andalusia. Off the egg. And before that was uh, Paul P. Pogue, which is on the brand spanking new Shiner record that's uh, coming out in May. As we as we established earlier on, and uh, of course those are both starring starring sure, <laughs> Mr. Alan Epley. We're also gonna listen to uh, we listen to a, a Life and Time song. We got the time. If you got the time, I've got the tunes. Protonic reversal. <laughs> Very sorry.
Cats out through the indoor by the Life and Times. Before that was Killing Queens, also by the Life and Times. Both those are on the same the same record, which is that one that came out in 2017 that we were talking about. Good one. A little breath of field with all that. Realized that earlier on I didn't actually give a shout out for Alan's podcast, even though we talked about it extensively. It's uh, Third Gear Scratch. Like third spelled out T H I R D <laughs> dot Libsyn dot com L I B S Y N dot com or you can just freaking look up third gear scratch it's <laughs> it's on there it's the it's got it on Facebook it's on all the normal things you would you think it'd be uh, good good show good show and interesting stuff all right so we're gonna play a couple more tunes here and close her out so let's do it. Simple case of timing One thumb flat A thimble full of eyes Simple case of timing One thumb flat A thimble full of eyes
that was a situationist by Shiner of Alula Divinia. It's featuring Mr. Alan Epley, Tim Dow, Josh Newton, whole crew. <coughs> All right. And there we go. That's another episode. Another episode in the books. If you want to find out more about the upcoming Shiner record, status of tour dates <laughs> all that good stuff there's a shinerkc.bandcamp.com they're on all the various streaming services there's a shiner facebook page i think they're on instagram <laughs> they're all over the damn place you can find all the information on your social media of choice or there's a I think there's a website that yeah. eventually will come up too who knows can you hear me now? well as you know oh shiner got of course I figured out it's anyway, since I finally changed it into something else hey the name of this show Come to your Protonic Reversal. It airs on Radio Nope. RadioNope.com. Signing off. Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Podcasted at anyone within the sound of my voice. RadioNeutron.com. Wherever you find your podcasts. Also on Spotify, a faster deal. I've got. If you want the shows quicker, 50,000 watts of power. Patreon.com slash Protonic Reversal. It's a dollar a month. Otherwise, ionize the air. You'll get them when you get them. Subscribe to the feed. Always free. No ads. No sponsors. No kidding. This microphone turns sound into electricity. Shadepoint is the name of the Shannon record. Can you hear me now? I think that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. On Route 128, dark and lonely. Stay safe. Take it easy. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top ten. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the, it's the end of radio. The last announcer plays the last record. The last what? Leaves the transmitter. Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now? If there's no one there to receive It's the end of radio As we come to the close of our broadcast day Can you hear me now?